I will not leave you as orphans. Those are the words of Jesus that we will read this morning in John chapter 14. And I think it's appropriate that we should read those words and read the passage that we're doing today because it is Mother's Day. You know, we all have something in common. Every one of us came from a mom, right? And we all have moms, some good moms, some bad moms, but we all have moms. And, uh, you know, another thing that we have in common is that most of us will be losing our moms at some point in our lives. And loss is hard. Loss is very hard. You know, this week, uh, Steve Wyatt said goodbye to his mom. And uh, also this week, the Allens said goodbye to an aunt and to a a close brother. So it's very difficult. Uh, Loss is hard. It's always hard. And in this morning's passage, Jesus is going to tell us that he is about to die. He reveals to his disciples that, that he is going to die. And in fact, this is the night before that Jesus actually dies. And so he spends the time telling them that and comforting them in, um, uh, in this. And so let's give our attention to the reading of the word now. Beth is going to come and read John chapter 14. You can follow along as, as Beth reads. It'll be up on the screen. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how could you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. A little while longer, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, 
said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. John 14, 15 through 31. Thank you, Beth. The first half of this chapter, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going away. I'm going away. But he says, I will come back to get you. So he's talking about the time when he will come back and bring his church to him. Actually, what we'll see in this chapter is there are three, three ways that Jesus will come to them. He will come back to them at the end. When he comes to rapture his church, he will come back after his resurrection, and, and we have the post-resurrection appearances, and he will come back as the Holy Spirit as well. So, so Jesus says, even though I'm going to you, I will come back to you. I will definitely come back. And as he's saying this to them, uh, we, we come to understand that the... Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm just a little distracted. I'm going to tell you. So this whole popping thing just drives me crazy, and I was trying to figure it out. There, I cleared it out of my mind. Now I can t actually bring the word to you, okay? Phew. Man. All right. Good. So anyway, the first half of the chapter, Jesus says, I'm going back to heaven. I'm going back to heaven because Jesus has a new work. His new work is to prepare a place for you and me so that we can go and have eternal fellowship with God. Stephen Ryan is actually going to be preaching on that first half of the chapter next week. So come back next week and hear all about that. It's an exciting passage. For us today, we're going to actually start looking at the passage in verse 15. And verse 15 starts with the phrase, if you love me. Jesus is concerned about the love of the disciples. You know, up until this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus' focus has been on belief. He wants people to come to believe him. But now that he's alone, the night before he goes to his arrest, and, or the night of his arrest, and when he will go to die on the cross, he is concerned about the love that his disciples have. He's very concerned about their love. You know, he could have said, this is the night before I'm going to die. I want to make sure you know just how to argue the case for, for Christianity. I think it's really important that you can stand firm on your beliefs and prove that you are right. I think it's really important that you are able to say, to speak honestly about the resurrection and to prove a seven-day creation. 
He didn't do any of that. Now, I'm not minimizing the importance of those things. But on this night, Jesus' concern was the love that his disciples had for him. Well, he's concerned about our love, isn't he? He's concerned. He's concerned. How is your love for Christ? And what he says in this very opening verse is that if you want to look at yourself and analyze how is my love for Christ, he's going to do that or we're going to do that by looking at our obedience. Obedience is the evidence of our love for Christ. So I want to tell you about my son, Matt. When he was about two years old, uh, it became evident to us that he had a fever. And uh, so we, we took out our old mercury thermometer. We popped it in his mouth, and a minute and a half later, we pull it out, and we read it, it was 104. He had a fever of 104 degrees. So we quick put him in a, in a cool bath. We called the hospital. We told them we were coming down. We get down to the hospital and we bring him in and said, he has 104 fever. Oh, you must mean 100.4. No, it said 104. They wouldn't believe us. They took his temperature. Of course, he had cooled down by that point. So uh, anyway, he wound up staying in the hospital and... Um, uh, we find out it's a virus, and he got over it, and he was just fine. But the thermometer was the evidence of the fever, right? The, the thermometer, the mercury, was not the fever itself. It was the evidence of it. And in the same way, obedience is the evidence of our love. It's not the love itself, right? Obedience is not love, but it is the evidence of our love for Christ. It's the indicator, it indicates what our love for Christ is. So this is a good reminder for us. We need to look at our lives, examine the love we have for Jesus. You know, if we say we love him, then it's going to show through how we act, how we think, what we do. If, if we are not obeying him, then we have to question how much do we really love the Lord. You know, it really is possible to come to church and have a great worship experience, to even have good quiet time and good prayer time with the Lord, to be uh, just experience great fellowship with one another and feel that good feeling of love for the Lord. But if it's not evidenced in obedience, then there's something wrong with that love. That's what, what this is saying. So Jesus is very concerned. You know, really what this is saying is that we need to walk the talk, right? We've heard that phrase before. Our, what we believe needs to appear in our lives. We, it needs to be showing. We need to align our obedience with the Lord in order to show how much we love the Lord. Now, we have to be careful here because I know our tendency here is to be very concerned about our obedience, right? We can really focus on obedience. And in a way, obedience is a lot easier to measure than love, isn't it? So I've, it's possible that I could look at my obedience and think, I must really love God because I'm really good. I'm a good boy. I obey the Lord, so my love must be strong. But it is actually possible to love the Lord or to obey the Lord and not have a good love. Let me come back to the story about Matt. About two years later, he was sick again. So we pulled out that same thermometer, popped it in his mouth, pulled it out, 104 again. He had it again. Well, 
he didn't. When we looked closer at the thermometer, we saw that there was a gap in the mercury and that the top part of the mercury was stuck at 104. He had that whole hospital visit and everything for nothing. So now we had a faulty indicator. The thermometer wasn't honest about what was going on. And obedience can be that, right? Obedience can be a faulty indicator. We could look at our obedience and think, I really love the Lord strong but we're just obeying. Is that really possible? Well, the Pharisees did it. They were experts at it. They knew just how to obey everything in the law, but their love of God was lacking. And so, so I don't want to contradict here what Jesus is saying, but we have to be careful of this in our, in our own selves. It is possible to, to do that. And this can be a little confusing, too. So, John, what are you saying? You're saying, well, we have to measure our love of God by our obedience, but our obedience might not be exactly the indicator of our love for God. Maybe it will help us if we look at what Jesus said is the sum of all of his commandments. The sum of all of his commandments is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the love in chapter 14 and the love in this verse here is agape love. Agape love is the word in Greek that talks about a selfless love. So if we were to apply that to this verse, it says, selflessly love the Lord with all of yourself. Love God with everything you have in you. All that's in you. Every fiber, love God. And if you do that, obedience will naturally pour out of it. Because if we're loving God with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, that's everything about us. And so if everything about us is loving the Lord, then we will align with his commands. And so really our focus should not be on obedience. We have to obey. Please don't come back and say, John said I don't have to obey Christ. We have to obey. We must but that will come out of our love for Christ. If we're loving him with every fiber in our being, we will follow him in his commands. Jesus is saying, make sure your love for me is real. Make sure it's strong. Make sure it's on fire and not complacent. And make sure that it's evident by your love and service of others as well. So our love for God will be evidenced in our lives. And we saw this in this passage. This phrase popped up quite a bit. And actually, over the next few chapters, as we study them together, we're going to see this phrase again. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. If you don't love me, you won't be obeying my commandments. We see that come up a lot. It's interesting to me that in this passage, Jesus goes right from that first verse there in verse 15, and then connects it to the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, I will send another helper to you. Now, this is really important. The disciples are grieving. They're grieving. Jesus is leaving them. The one they've learned to love, the one they've spent three years with, building deep relationship. No doubt that grief has some disappointment that, where is the kingdom of God? We thought this was going a different direction. But surely their grief is that they were going to miss the one that they love. So Jesus promises that he will send another helper. So the word there, helper, 
is, is not quite what it needs to be in English. The word helper, in English we, we say helper, and I think some of your versions might even say, we will send a comforter, another comforter, but even that isn't strong enough. The word in the Greek means somebody who will come alongside you in order to defend you. Somebody who will stand alongside you and advocate for you. It's actually a legal term. It's a legal term for a lawyer of, who is for the defense. So he's saying, I will send a defense for you. The Holy Spirit is going to come to you and he will defend you. He will give you all that you need. This isn't mommy's little helper, right? This isn't Jesus saying, I'm not going to send you a little helper alongside of you. This is strong. He's, he's our advocate, He's our defender. Listen to the way that the Old Testament describes God as our helper. Psalm 54 says, God is my helper, the upholder of my life. That's not something that's unnecessary. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Second Chronicles 14, oh God, there is none like you to help. Help us, O oh Lord, for we rely on you. God is our defender, our advocate, our rock, the very, the very foundation we stand on. He's not just a happy little sidekick who comes along for the ride. He is our very present help. I don't know about you, but I need that kind of help in my life. I don't need just a little assistance on the side. I need someone to rely on. And I think we all do. We're all there. In verse 16, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will abide or live with us forever. Now think about this. Jesus is called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. But Jesus has to go back to the Father. He must go back to the Father now. That's what this is all about, this whole chapter. He's going back to his Father. But the Holy Spirit is with us forever. It says that. He will live with us forever. That means he will never leave. The Holy Spirit is always at our side. He will not come and go in good times and bad times. He's always present. Every moment, the Holy Spirit is with us. Now, this truth should impact us when we feel lonely. And we all feel lonely at times. We need to we need to really rest in this truth that the Holy Spirit is with us. We need to go to his word and allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us through the word when we're lonely, when we're discouraged. He speaks to us. He's our advocate. He's by us. He's comforting us. He's giving us everything we need. The truth that the Holy Spirit is with us is also just tremendously impactful when we are tempted. Because when I'm tempted, I'm tempted to sin. But with the Holy Spirit beside me, what Jesus is saying is that we have every resource possible to resist the temptation, no matter how strong that is. The Holy Spirit, my advocate, my rock, my assurance is here and gives me the strength I need to resist every temptation. It should also impact us when we make the decision to give in to the temptation. If you think about it, Jesus is saying, I'm in the room with you. 
When you decide to sin, I'm in the room with you. I'm in the room when you talk to your spouse that way. I'm in the room with you when you compromise your morality. I'm in the room with you when you decide to gossip about somebody. The Holy Spirit is with us. If we really considered that fact, we would really reconsider our decision to sin, to give, to give that, that opportunity to the enemy. So this truth that he is always with us has a tremendous impact on our lives. And as if that weren't enough, Jesus says he's not only with you in verse 17, he says he's in you. The Holy Spirit is beside you and he's in you. He indwells you. People, this is a new kind of intimacy that we can have with God. Up until this point, a person could not have this kind of intimacy with God. But now God dwells inside of us. Jesus is God with us, and the Holy Spirit is God in us. Do you realize how important that is? Not just in our doctrinal sense, but important in our relationship with God. God is inside of us. This is a reality. When we receive Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit enters us in, enters into us. Every spirit, I'm sorry, every believer has the Holy Spirit in him. This idea that the Holy Spirit coming upon us is a separate event from our time of salvation is not a scriptural idea. When we receive Jesus in our heart, that's receiving the Holy Spirit in our heart. The Holy Spirit is with us from the moment of conversion. If we were to, to hold that view that the Holy Spirit is a separate event from salvation, then we're really denying the Trinity. You know, the, it's hard to understand the Trinity. Our finite minds cannot really grasp the infinite God. But the Trinity is an important thing to understand. I want to read what our doctrinal statement says about the Trinity. It says that the Trinity is one living and true God who exists eternally in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the same in substance and equal in power and glory. And we have seen this throughout the Gospel of John. From the, from the very first sentence, the Word was with God and the Word was God. And throughout the Gospel, this, the idea of the Trinity, the equality and the sameness of the Father and the Son are, are just existing throughout this gospel and the rest of the New Testament as well. But in our chapter here, I just want to bring your attention to several verses. Verse 20 says, at that, that day you will know that I am in my Father. Jesus is in his Father. Verse 21, he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and make myself known to him. So how will he make himself be known to him? By the Holy Spirit. So we have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit doing equal work there. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come into him and make our home with him. Jesus equating himself with his Father through the Holy Spirit. We also saw in verse 17 that the Holy Spirit will live inside the believer, and in verse 20, 20 Jesus says he will be inside the believer. 
Verse 24, the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Verse 26 says the Holy Spirit will help us remember everything Jesus said. So they're, they're all working in the same way, bringing the word to us. And finally, in verse 25, Jesus says that the Father will send the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. The Trinity. The teaching of the Trinity is throughout the New Testament. If the Holy Spirit is in us, then Jesus is in us. If Jesus is in our heart, talking about salvation, talking about when we receive Jesus in our heart, then we have received the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus left to go back to be with the Father, but he is still with us through the Holy Spirit. I have several things down here that I want to read to you. I think they're important. Jesus came to bring God's presence into the world. The Holy Spirit came to bring God's presence into the believer. God worked salvation for the world through his son on the cross, but he works sanctification into the believer through the Holy Spirit. So God doing the work of salvation through Jesus and of sanctification or growth, spiritual growth through the Holy Spirit. So it's not that Jesus came to us on a mission to show us who God is. It's that God came to us on a mission to show us who he is and he did that through Jesus. And God came on a mission to show himself through his son Jesus. And it's not that He sent the Holy Spirit to be a a meager reminder or a substitute for Jesus. It's that God is in us. God himself is working in us through the Holy Spirit. The commentator Gary Berg said it this way. He said, to sum up, the Father is resident in the life of the Son, and the Son will return to his disciples in the form of the Spirit. Jesus can say that both Father and Son together will indwell the disciple through the Holy Spirit. These are profound contributions to our understanding of God. And so we do. We understand as much as we can. We understand that God is a three-person God. Three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, completely unified in purpose, but different in function completely equal in power and in glory, but different in assignments. I think it's interesting. We talk about this union between Father, Son, and Spirit. And then Jesus adds this this extra thing here in verse 20. He says that in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, okay, Trinity talk, and you in me and I in you. Wait, there's this other union going on now that God is in us. So when God, through the work of his son, Jesus, saves us, we are put in Christ. He says, you in me. That's our identity. As believers, we are in Christ. But he also says, and I will be in you. That's him transforming us. So we have this beautiful thing, Christian. Beautiful that we are put in Christ and he is put in us. How can we lose? We have everything we need for life. So what is the evidence? What is the evidence that the spirit is working in us? Well, that evidence is that we see growing obedience. 
And what is growing obedience an indication of? Our love. It's beautiful. The Holy Spirit is working in us to teach us to be more like Christ. And that obedience is revealing our love for Christ and growing our love for Christ. If you are a Christian, Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And although Jesus had to leave to go back to be with the Father through the Holy Spirit in us, we have Jesus in us and we have God in us. And if this, as if that weren't enough, there's still another thing. He says that Jesus, he call, Jesus calls the Spirit the Spirit of truth. He will bring truth to us. We live in a confusing world regarding truth, don't we? But the Holy Spirit will bring truth to us. He's called the Spirit of truth. And in verse 26, he reminds us that that Spirit of truth will come and remind us of all the things that Jesus has said. Now, I, you know, I just think we talked about this, this night before Jesus died. He's giving his instructions to his disciples. Well, that takes five chapters to do that, chapter 13 through 17. That's a lot. The disciples must have been swimming in this information. I could just, I could feel their confusion. You know, how their, if their attention span is like ours, then Jesus only has about 25 minutes to give this teaching, right? <laughs> you know, but no, it's five chapters long. And, and new concepts, difficult concepts, talking to the disciples about things they have never heard before. They must have been very confused. If you've seen... Um, if you've seen the, the uh, television series or, or the, the, the series, The Chosen, I, I picture their characterization of Matthew. I don't know if Matthew was really like that, but I picture their characterization of Matthew, like Jesus is saying all this and he's frantically trying to write it down and has a million questions, but Jesus just keeps going and, and it's just too much. It's too much. But what a comfort that Jesus said to them, my Holy Spirit, he will remind you of all these things. Don't worry about keeping this now. I'm going to tell you, but the time is coming when the Holy Spirit will come to you and he will speak to you and remind you of all these things. So what this meant for the disciples and what this meant for people who followed God throughout the Old and New Testament is the Holy Spirit worked in them and gave them God's words and they wrote it down and we read it today and receive life from those words because the Holy Spirit was working in them. What this means for us is that we are given illumination. We are given the ability to understand God's word. And then his spirit works at applying his word in our lives. Chapter 16. You don't have to turn there but he says that the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he, the Holy Spirit, will take of mine and declare it to you. You see this beautiful working of God, the Son, the Holy Spirit working together to bring to us the understanding and the application of his word. Believer, the word is the tool that God uses 
in our lives to encourage, to strengthen, to correct, to exhort, to lead, to build up. The Holy Spirit working through the apostles to give us his word, working in us to receive his word. What a beautiful thing. So we have God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus. We have truth. And there's one more thing that this passage brings out. It comes in verse 27. Up to this point, Jesus says, through the Holy Spirit, you will have me in you. You will have God in you. You will have truth. And now he says, you will have peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give. Everyone wants peace, right? We all want peace of mind, peace of spirit. We just, we want peace. And Jesus offers peace. And he says it's different than the world. The world cannot really offer us peace. Our world is not a very peaceful place right now, is it? And though the world will, will talk about peace, we know ultimately that peace is going to be the, the, the watchword for the Antichrist. So we cannot trust peace from the world. We cannot trust it at all. Jesus offers his own peace to us, and that is the peace of God. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, I want to talk to you. I know that some people struggle with anxiety, and when you start talk about peace, this can be really hard for anxious people, because here's how it goes. Well, if, if I'm a Christian, the Holy Spirit's in me, and God is going to give me peace, but I have anxiety, and so that must mean I might not really be a Christian, or the Holy Spirit might not really be in me, and that brings me more anxiety. So it's this, this bad spiraling down of that. But let me put this in context. The peace that he's talking about is the peace of a restored relationship with God. Many things cause anxiety in this world, right? And we are told to let go of anxiety and to trust in Jesus because he is in control. He's in control of everything. I don't need to worry that there's a war. I don't need to worry that my finances are going to go bad. I don't need to worry that I might lose one of my children. Jesus is sovereign over those things. I don't need to be anxious about them. But the peace he's talking about here is the peace of restored relationship with God. And so in spite of what's happening around me or happening in our world, I can truly have peace because peace with God comes because he has reconciled me to him through his blood on the cross. And you, believer, you've been reconciled to God. We can rest in that despite what's going on in our lives. We can rest in the relationship that we have with God because Jesus has made peace for us with God. So, If we have been reconciled, we have peace. If we have peace with God, then we receive his love and we love him back in return. And if we have love for God, then that will show up in our obedience. We just keep coming full circle in this chapter. It's all connected. In the upcoming chapters, we will see this theme come back a lot. But for today, believer, the question is, is your life showing the evidence 
of your love for Christ. Or to put it this way, if you love me, you will obey my commands. That's, that's the call to us today. Now, obedience, we're not perfect in that. We understand that, right? We, we still sin here. But what sanctification means and what the Holy Spirit being in us means is that we should be in growing relationship, in growing obedience. We should see obedience increasing. That thermometer should really be working and going up. Growing obedience. So we need to to examine ourselves and look at the way we're obeying and look at our heart. Are we loving Christ with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? You know, if Jesus only felt love for us, we would all still be in our wretched state. His love meant that he obeyed his Father and died on the cross for us. That's the same for us. If we're going to love, then we need to obey. We need to obey Christ. Now, there are many things that chill our love for Christ. Difficult situations, distractions, the grip of sin, stronghold of sin, busyness, lack of being in the word. All of these things can chill our love for Christ. But the hope that we have is that the Holy Spirit is in us. If you have received Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit is living in you. And if he is living in you, then you have Jesus in you. You have God in you. You have been given truth. You have been given peace. If you haven't given your life to Christ, if you've not received him as Savior, why would you want to be without these things? How do you face life? How do you face the difficulties of life and and the, the tragedies of this world? Every one of us can have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and experience the truth of God and the peace of God. If you haven't done that, come and talk to me afterwards. If you have done that, then live in it. Live in it and make your love of Christ your hot pursuit. Your obedience will follow, but love him with everything you have, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen.